What's up, everyone? It's Judith Hope. You're listening to Mad Love. Good morning. Happy Monday. Welcome to your week. I hope it's going to be amazing. I am excited to chat with you today. Uh, I am almost every day, really. And if, if I'm not, it's because I'm sleepy or tired or whatever. But um, so yesterday I watched two very important things. Um, very pivotal very exciting to me uh two documentaries while I was cooking because I tend to cook everything on Sunday so I don't have to do any kind of hardcore cooking through the week so I make most of my proteins on Sundays you know lots of slow roasted vegetables lots of slow roasted meats uh and the bases of certain meals so I don't have to you know do all that on a Monday through Friday scenario so while I was doing that yesterday, there was a Miles Davis documentary on uh, our PBS station. And what's fascinating about him is what's fascinating to me about a lot of great uh, genius level people. Like they're so good at the one thing they're great at that they're really not great at other things. I mean, he clearly had some social uh, issues. He clearly was a misogynist. I think he loved women, but I think he also was sexist and petty and insecure, um, you know, uh, abusive. And the documentary, I read a book about uh, Miles Davis when I was in college. I want to say it was the autobiography of Miles Davis. And he actually broke one of his wives or girlfriends, uh, body parts I want to say was her leg um that didn't make it into the docuseries he did there was some uh chronicling of his abusiveness um but but that one didn't make it in there but his autobiography has a lot of it I mean um and the one that stood out was when he broke somebody's like arm or leg and it was like damn you know um but to be able to play so beautifully I mean that's the dichotomy of humans right to be so talented and so amazing at something, but then also be like an awful piece of trash, you know, uh, in the same breath, like a trash husband or a trash father, um, but be a genius, you know. I, I own quite a bit of Miles Davis's music. I think of him as an artistic genius and much like Bill Cosby like that what he was able to put out into the world his public facing self was extraordinarily talented and amazing but who he really was is kind of awful you know Miles sounded rude and mean and if you were on his good side you were on his good side but if you weren't you weren't but artistically he sounded like somebody I would love to work with you know, um, I didn't love all the late fusion stuff, the, you know, the 70s bitches brew type shit, but a lot of people did. And as an artist, how cool would it be to just get on stage and play from a vibe like the whole band? You know, I I see the merit in that. Um, now, I don't necessarily like listening to it as much as I like Birth of the Cool or a kind uh or kind of blue those are my two favorites but you know I respect it and I get it but it's it's amazing how dichotomous people are you know 
and the other dichotomy I saw yesterday was the w- beginning of the Woody Allen Mia Farrow documentary on HBO. HBO is dealing. Do you hear me? They always have such quality programming. I mean, ah, I just love them. They uh they get the best. And uh yeah, anyway, the Woody Woody um Allen gosh. They paint quite a compelling picture of him molesting his his one of his daughters and then having sex and marrying another one of Mia Farrell's kids. What I forgot about all of that is she had so many other kids in the house. Um which I would have to think is a recipe for molestation, especially, I mean, Dr. Phil says this number all the time. I I can't remember, but it's extraordinarily high. The percentage of um, men as boyfriends who molest uh, the daughters of their girlfriends. And I've seen numbers myself that are extraordinarily high and it's unsettling. I don't get it. And yeah, he's still married to her, one of her older daughters, but that doesn't mean he stopped, you know, molesting a molester. That's how you can tell if the charges are real or not. You know, molesters don't just stop, you know. So if it's just this one person accusing someone, then you have to look at it and and study it and make sure, you know, Maybe it's a false allegation for whatever reason, but, you know, most of the time a molester never stops molesting. So I think she was his beard because she was one of his first. Well, we don't know. She was one of his victims. So, I mean, it looks pretty clear that he was wildly inappropriate with his adopted daughter with Mia Farrow. He didn't even want kids. Then he started to specify he wanted girls. And that's where Ronan Farrow, well, I remember Satchel being born, but apparently he goes by Ronan now, which is the journalist. Because I was like, when does Ronan come in? Because, and what's ironic is he's such a passionate advocate and he's actually the only biological child of Woody Allen and Mia Farrow. Um, Yeah, it's just a fascinating thing. Fascinating thing. And, you know, I look at all the people who continue to work with him as a film director. He is brilliant as a film director. But he's clearly troubled when it comes to relationships. And he puts it on screen. Manhattan, which was one of my other favorite movies by him. He is a grown-ass, old-ass man having a relationship with Mary L. Hemingway, who's 16. And, and was 16 in real life. You know, people tell you who they are. But it's your job to believe them. And this kind of getting a pass for wanting to have sex with young kids because you're funny, you know, it's still you still not the age of consent, you know. And if you don't understand consent, watch HBO's I May Destroy You. Um, there's a point legally you can't give consent because you're a child. Ch- children can't consent to anything sexual. And there's a reason why that law is in place. If you ever wonder how we got where we are, it's a reason. Because generationally, there are, especially, I I think, in the South, you know, I don't know very many people who don't have this story. You have an old uh, uncle or grandpa (laughs) and your, your granny or your aunt was really much, much younger. 
And finally, I guess as populations grew, people were like, look, we can't keep marrying off our 13 or 14 year old girls to these old ass men. And eventually uh, the law caught up with that trend. And also, too, you know, if you're uh, wildly inappropriate, you know, you're cultivating and having relationships with little kids like that's disgusting. So legally, I mean, you could see why there's a law because it would have continued. You know, I don't understand it. I don't get it, but it's out here. And when you watch that and you hear the the daughter break it down and, you know, she she was old enough to remember what was going on pretty clearly. It's pretty it's pretty heady stuff like, whoa, whoa. So that's the thing. Somebody can be outwardly a genius, brilliant even, but they've got their demons. Nobody should be on a pedestal. Nobody should be on a pedestal. So if you get a chance, HBO is running the very fine um, docuseries called um, Alan versus Pharaoh. Very, very good. Very, very good. Troubling, troubling, but very good. Um, And that Miles... Davis documentary it should be on PBS somewhere it was it was fascinating I mean when it came to the music he was the man but uh he struggled with drugs he struggled with people he struggled with intimacy and communication and when you listen to his music you can and then you hear how abrasive and harsh he was um you can tell this was a man who struggled with intimacy because the music is uh, beautiful and sweet and romantic at times, but it's always forlorn. You know, I, I didn't hear that ad- adjective. And I find some of his music that I like the most, it's haunting in, in the fact that it's so forlorn. You know, it's it just, you feel like this is a person who, who uh, can't just release his passion. It's kind of restrained. And in that restraint is sadness. Very, very fascinating stuff. Good work. If you get a chance, check out that uh, that documentary on Miles Davis. Came out last year. Uh, the Woody Allen. Wow, that was powerful. And it leads me to some other thoughts that I was having <laughs> this weekend. Um, uh, you know, like I said, there are people... And those are that's an example of men who are creative geniuses, but in their personal lives, demons, definitely demons. And, and, you know, whenever you focus so hard on your art, you will become successful. But that doesn't make you not a person with issues and problems and uh, your own, you know, just you, you come with baggage. Right. Everybody has some. Um, but I, I've been thinking recently. So when I told the story about my dad in my grade school, I also had another teacher there. She was going to be a nun, but she didn't become a nun for whatever reason. And she was sort of like this little short. Um, I don't know if she was, she was, you know, overweight. I don't know if she was super overweight, but she was just a little round woman. And, uh, she was unmarried when I had her as my fifth grade teacher and then she got married by her eight by the eighth grade she was married and I remember 
So now I was thinking about Sister Mary Sue and I and I go back and I remember this teacher and you know, I've had some wildly um strange conversations as an adult with people who didn't think they were racist basically uh saying racist things. <laughs> and so I know everybody's always up in arms about you shot and killed somebody because they're they're black and unarmed and you're white. Now, I'm not saying that that's not a thing. It is a thing. Um, And sometimes it's overtly racist and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not racist at all. Sometimes race isn't involved, believe it or not. I think the worst kind of racism, though, is the more subversive kind, the kind where it doesn't look like racism uh, and you can't so easily throw it in the in that box because it doesn't quite look like it. Here's an example. So this particular teacher, first of all, she told me I wasn't smart enough to get into my high school. Um, and there are people who apologize for her behavior. But that was the beginning of me being looking at her like, whoa, you know. And so I started to unpack that even more over the weekend. Don't ask me why. Uh, something I you know, just thinking about those years and, you know, the climate that we're in now. So her racism to me was more subversive. Like, so she told me and my check it out. My my class was predominantly black and she didn't tell everybody that she just picked me to tell that. So I always took that as like, wow, she really thought I wasn't that smart. Um, And then that led me to think, oh, yeah, she really I, I was much smarter than she gave me credit for. And I don't think that's because I'm black. I, for whatever reason, uh, she just read me wrong. But I always assumed she read me right because I liked her. And I liked her no-nonsense kind of thing. But I'm going to keep talking. So here we go. So when she told me I wasn't smart enough, I didn't take it as like, oh, I'm black. She's white. She's just telling me that. Because my whole class was predominantly, you could count the white. It was like two white people. And the rest of us were black. And she didn't tell everybody that. She just told me that. And I was like, you know, well, fuck off. I'm going to apply anyway. And I did. And I got in. And, you know, while I didn't set the school on fire academically, I had a great experience. And the things I was good at, I was great at. Uh, And I did well. And in any other school that was less competitive, I would have been one of the top students. So I did well there. Um, And I don't regret ignoring her advice uh, cause I don't think it was advice. So I look back at some of the things that she said and because we liked her and because our class was predominantly black, we didn't take it a certain way. We took it in like, Oh, okay. That's just good advice. One thing I remember she said, and this to me really stands out cause I still remember it and we're going on 40 years. Like I, this was a long time ago, not quite 40, but a long time ago. And I remember she said, don't, and, and I can't remember her verbiage, so don't think I'm saying a quote, but it was mostly like, listen, don't be like other black people and buy a Cadillac and you're, you live in a shack or something like that. And because the class was predominantly black, I took it as like, oh, that's, that's sound advice. That makes, I see the logic in that. But I was like, 12, 11, you know what I mean? But if someone were to say that to me now, I would look at them like, what, you know, what are you actually trying to say? Just come out and say it. You think black people aren't good with money 
or you think black people are irresponsible with money. She was the type of racist, now that I look back, that, you know, she had a sing at her wedding, which I thought at the time, oh, that's flattering. She likes our class so much she wants us to be a part of our wedding. But really, it was like free labor. You know, like, I don't have to find anybody else and my little black kids will perform. Because I don't remember them, her having any black friends. I remember us being the only black people at the wedding. Uh, and I could be wrong, but I, I, she, I don't remember where she came from. But it wasn't like a ton of brothers and sisters there. I don't remember that. I remember just us performing for her. Um, and her attitude, now that I look back, is more like, listen, I don't know a ton of black people, but you all are all right. <laughs> And to me, that is the worst kind of racism. I'd rather it be out there overt, you know, uh, just like I don't like black people and, and I can tell that you because you know how to deal with that. I won't live in your neighborhood. I won't go to I don't need to prove anything to nobody. I'm not going to go where I'm not welcome. You don't want me to live next to you. I don't want to live next to you. But the worst kind is when they smile at you. And pretend like they're your friends. But in, but in reality, there's this little bit of superiority. That's racism. And that's the shit that needs to go away. Those people who think they're doing you some big solid by saying shit like that. Or, or making you feel that way. Like, I don't particularly care for black people, but you, you, you're different. And I'm all right with you. That is, that is awful. And I think the last example I have with this particular teacher that that all these years it's just sort of been like bubbling underneath. And I don't know why, but I guess it's because I need to just accept the fact that she was a racist. I remember we went to visit a, another Catholic school out in the county. My memory says it was out somewhere west. And this school was predominantly white. I don't think there were a lot of black students there. I don't think there were any. And uh, my school, of course, was predominantly black. And I'm not sure who came up with this. And so we had a pleasant day. It was just fun. We got to know each other. We realized kids are kids. We all like the same stuff. And then for some reason, at the end of the day, she was like, OK, we're we're going to have a basketball game. Well, first of all, you know, at that time, I was young. I was the star of the girls' team, and there was a boy who was the star of the boys' team. But n neither one of us dressed to play basketball. None of us dressed to play basketball. Um, I did not have on basketball shoes. I had on, like, a shirt and pants. Like, we were dressed in clothes. So, A, I didn't want to play basketball, and B, like, I spent the day getting to know these kids. I didn't want to do that. And so we all got out there and we just sort of had fun and half played. I mean, I didn't really give it a lot of effort. And I remember her chastising us like, and now, so again, as a kid, I took it one way. As an adult, I look back and I think, oh, because she was like, you all, you know, basically we embarrassed her. And she was like, you, you all said you were good at this. Yeah, I heard you were good. And I was like, so what did you do? Brag that? You know, my black kids are going to come out here and play some basketball. And they go, you know what I mean? It was like perform for us or whatever. And I was like, ah, you know, as a kid, I thought she was just frustrated because we didn't try very hard and we didn't. You know, I remember passing the ball to them and letting them win. And, I, you know, I because I wasn't trying 
because I didn't plan to come out there to play no basketball. We were that was not part of the agenda. And now as an adult, I look back and I think, oh, she we didn't perform for her the way she wanted us to. And that's sort of the issues that I have with, you know, we we miss that stuff and don't even pay attention to that. And then we get fired up over some of this other stuff. There's a whole lot of things out here that are really racist. You know, some of the stuff you you think is overt racism, like Colin Kaepernick is not. He did not get hired because he was not playing good football. It was long past his, his, you know, prime and his game declined and uh, nobody wanted to sign him. The kneeling thing may have been part of it, but you can't come in and demand your terms and dictate your terms and you're not, you know, Tom Brady, you're not winning, you know, that's that, that was it. I, I watched him. He was in our division. That's how that goes down. And talk to people who really watch football, and most of them agree. I have no doubt about that. You know, the NFL signs murderers. <laughs> there are people who have played on on teams that have bodies on them. <laughs> so if they think you can win, they don't care. Uh, so that narrative sounds good to people, and it makes you feel like you're part of something great. But no. Uh, but these little subtle, you know, so like when you see an ad for, you know, we want to make sure you get the proper, um, you know, care. And it's just like, uh, I can't think of anything like that. So uh, those abortion pictures. So like right outside, uh, the high school in my neighborhood, which is predominantly black, there was an anti-abortion photo but the baby was white with blue eyes. And I'm like, okay, so it feels good to say, in theory, we don't want you to have an abortion. But the school right next to you has like zero white people or a, like 1% white people in it. So what's the real message? You know, it's okay if you're poor and black and keep having babies because you know, or low income and black and keep having babies because we don't really care about your babies. (laughs) I mean, it's whatever, just it it was wildly not the right messaging. And if you care about our community, put brown babies on there. But like, there's something about that movement that I've never seen a child of color or anything that wasn't a white baby on a, on a anti-abortion like, uh, and I see plenty of it because this is a fairly religious Catholic city and you don't, you never see any people of color. So it's like, you don't really care if people of color abort, you know, there's a subtle message in that, you know? And so you think on the surface, it's like, well, they don't want us to kill our babies. Well, you know, if you look at it that way, sure. But what about, you know, stabilizing your communities? What about not you know, being in abject poverty and raising multiple kids and like that. How how come the message doesn't apply to, you know, low income black families? Because that's who lives in this neighborhood. Why are you advertising? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not articulating it well, but there's something there. There's definitely something there. So those are my subversive racism stories. And there it I, I think that lady was a complete racist. <laughs> And, uh, you know, 
the dichotomy of humans. Because I think if you know if we were to say that to her, she would be like, "But I'm a good person. I like black people. I taught a lot of black people." Yeah, and she was a decent teacher, but she said some wildly inappropriate things to kids, and just a few of those little low key subtle things. It's like okay. And that's the racism we have to avoid. You know, the, these these realtors who show you only black neighborhoods or uh, certain income backgrounds because they look at you and assume something about you. They won't let you see, you know, certain neighborhoods because, uh, you know, it's just subtle. But it's like, oh, if you're black and you make a certain amount of money, you can live in the upscale black neighborhood. But you, you know, you probably don't want to go you know, West. And it's crazy. And it still exists. And most of that to me, I mean, a lot of it has something to do with skin color, but a lot of it has to do with money and keeping neighborhoods where exactly where they are, no matter what color they are. It's pretty disturbing. But anyway, that's my uh, long ass story about dichotomies today. <laughs> People are fascinating. And I'm sure this lady, I'm not sure if she's still alive, but I believe she probably thought she was a great person. But again, it was subtle, but it was low key. You know, I'm not a fan of many black people, but you you all are OK. <laughs> and that's subtle. And it's that little, you know, bit of superiority. And if I'm reading it wrong, I'm reading it wrong. But I don't know. It's taken me a long time to come to those conclusions. So because it, it's something there. Oy. Anyway, uh, watch that Woody Allen documentary if you get a chance. It's very detailed and it moves kind of slow. But you're the whole time you're like, something's not right. And it's four parts, an hour long. We just finished the first one. Um, the only thing I wish is they would just let you binge things, but they don't. Um, if you get a shot, watch that Miles Davis docu- documentary on uh, PBS. It's riveting. It's riveting. So I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. I do appreciate you. This one runs a little long just for me solo. So, uh, But it, you got to unpack it because I think there's some just there's just some interesting things that unfold in our world and we don't fully pay attention to all of it and the stuff we are paying attention to you know the other stuff is kind of lethal and uh dangerous as well and i'm telling you a subversive racist is way worse i'd rather see you waving a uh uh a clan flag than just be the type of person <laughs> that pretends you really care about our issues and then you know you drive through our neighborhoods and lock the doors and you never <laughs> you never associate with any of the people you call yourself helping yeah i'd rather just i'd rather know for sure that's just me though